BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Natural disasters. We always think about their devastating power and the destruction left in their trail. But what about those left to pick up the pieces, the survivors? Today we sit around the fire and recount survivor stories, first-hand accounts of surviving life-altering events. So turn up the volume and settle in. San Diego, California, October 2003. My family lived in Scripps Ranch at the time. I, for some reason, woke up at 4 a.m. that day. The Santa Ana winds were blowing and the sky was dark. It was strange, so I climbed onto our roof. Half the sky was dark gray, and the other half was the beginning of a crisp blue morning. I woke up my siblings because I had no clue what was going on. We all looked up and watched the sky get completely covered with the dark, coal-colored gray, it looked like that scene from Annie Matrix where the planes blacked out the sky, only here there were no planes. Eventually my parents woke up, and we turned on the news. Turns out there was a huge wildfire right across the nearest mountain ridge. I think they called it the Cedar Ridge Fire. I've been in the business 45 years. This is the worst fire conditions I've ever fought fire in. We got a massive fire, Santa Ana conditions, burning multiple houses. We got multiple burn victims, and this is the third fatality I've seen this morning. Oh, yeah. Oh. You guys like have homeowners insurance or anything? You know like something? That? Funny thing is, you canceled it about six, seven months ago. My house was all lit up like we just we were just living in it. We were getting ready to go to bed. Yeah. Uh, we just took showers and. And he's like, it's here. We felt the heat. We've seen things melting. And I look over, my door was open. 
I had to go back and close it, and then right when I went to go back and close it, I seen the corner and it was going. It, it was, it was a flame. SoCal has so many fires that they all kind of blur together eventually, but this one was insanely close to our home. We spent the day packing up the car so that we could leave at any moment, and then we prepared our house for the eventual burning. I recall standing on the roof with a hose to keep it wet while huge flakes of ash were falling all around. I kept a large piece for years after. The firefighters told us to leave, but my dad had none of it. Until the fire came close, we would, but until then we would stay and protect our home. A few neighbors could also be seen on their roofs. We spent the day alternating between watching the horizon burn and the TV coverage. Our house was situated on the top of one of the highest peaks, so we had a great view of the fires burning closer. Somehow the firefighters did amazing work that day. I think by the second day they had most of it near homes under control. By the third day they allowed people back into the neighborhood. Half of it had burned to the ground. It was pretty much down the hill from us, maybe four blocks away. It was devastating to walk through the debris. I remember that it was the evening and families were walking through the streets to see if their house was left. If anything was salvageable, Everything stank of smoke, and there were only bare chimneys sticking out of foundations for the most part. I had friends who had absolutely nothing left, baby photos, school notes, important documents, all gone. The community support was amazing, but it took a couple of years to get families back in new homes. Exposed to the fire, the fire I couldn't see, rolled backwards. I think Tom went to go get some help. And then we got stuck. Uh, as you uh, may have heard, uh, the county has declared a state of emergency, a local state of emergency, uh, because of the serious situation. January 2001. I survived the 2001 earthquake in Gujarat. I was nine at the time. I lived in a 10-story building. It was Independence Day early in the morning and our whole family was just waking up. Mom made tea and poha. Me and my sister were just waking up. We had decided to skip the school celebration this year since neither of us were performing and we had no transport that day. Mom and dad were having breakfast on the bed. I went to mom and sis was leaning over her. Suddenly it seemed as if the wall was leaning in to engulf us. This was a time when these 10-story buildings were first starting to be built in our area. Many a people had theorized that they are unsafe. The first instinct of my mom was to say, the building is collapsing while I was thinking Pakistan attacked us, tanks are coming in. Although idiot nine-year-old me did not know that it would take hours for an army from Pakistan to reach Ahmadabad. And I would have heard about it by then. For 10 seconds or so, we just hugged each other and my mom says, we are going to die together. Then it occurred to us to run. I ran first to the door, unlocked it, and ran out. I ran as fast as I could. Climbed down four stories to the common playground between the two buildings that make up our apartment complex. I saw them acting as a tuning fork for I don't know how long. I think it was five minutes, but of course it was something like three. Five seconds the earthquake itself wasn't that long. Everyone was down and yet my mother and father had not made it downstairs. Me and my sister started to scream at the buildings, but the other residents prevented us from climbing up. And after a few minutes, again, don't trust me with the timing, they came down. 
We had a pregnant lady living next door to us. She was in her fifth month. My mother and father were helping her. They came down and we calmed our nerves. Now here is the situation. Police are at the scene. Nobody can go up to their houses. Nobody has anything to eat or money to spend. Hell, some people didn't have clothes on. The first glimpse from the air is deceptive. There are only inklings of the earthquake's handiwork. A closer look reveals the true extent of devastation. But the real impact of catastrophe on this once prosperous region can only be felt here. Where heavy machinery now chews up the mangled remains of Anja, a town until last Friday, now a mass grave. Here and there we saw reminders that this was once a place of the living. There is a tragedy under every pile of bricks here, but we found the worst tragedy under this pile. Hard to believe, but this used to be a street. On Friday morning, 400 schoolchildren took part in a National Day parade when the earthquake struck. Rajiv, a security guard, was there and watched in horror. They had just come to the end of the parade, he told me. The band was playing the national anthem when the earth started to shake. The houses on both sides of the street just collapsed and crushed everyone. No one survived. Suddenly there's a commotion. A digger has churned up a body, the body of one of the dead schoolchildren. But there's no time for burial. The corpses simply line the pavement. Life goes on. There were no buildings that fell around me. I was spared that trauma. The next course of action was to get some essentials from the house. So some people went up and my mom went with them. It will always be the most pretty picture of women power for me. Most of the people who went up were ladies. They brought back shoes and some cloths, some IDS and as much cash as they could. As soon as they disappeared from my view up the stairs, I started screaming again, this time louder than before. By the time they got down, I had essentially lost my voice. I couldn't speak properly for two days after that. After we had calmed our nerves for about half an hour, we went to a friend of my father. He lived nearby. His building was greatly damaged, but still standing. Nobody had anything to eat, and thus the spirit of the community came alive. The one-story bungalows were deemed safe, and so they brought out all the food they had. The whole society of 15 bungalows took it upon themselves to feed the whole community. They brought out all their reserves of potato and onions and flour, and just made as much food as they could. Women and children were fed first, gents later. This is when my mom broke down. I didn't understand it at that time. The lady who was so valiant in the face of the situation was crying over free food. Two older ladies were consoling her, but she wouldn't stop crying. Years later now, I understand why this happened. My parents came from a humble background. They were never rich. They were not poor, though. That is a very bad situation to be in. You get no welfare, but have to work harder than others. Years later, they had more than they began with, and their biggest victory was buying this new house. She wasn't crying because of the disaster. She was crying because they earned so much and yet today, she had to get food from strangers. The disaster hurt her pride more than anything else. 
That moment when food was served to her, she lost all her control, all her poise. We spent a few more days at the house of another friend of my father. He had a two-story bungalow, and he invited three families to stay with him. There was plenty of space, and it was a lot of fun, too. Spending whole days with my friends, no school, no worry of exams. It was just pure joy. After that, we went to our hometown in Rajasthan, stayed at my grandfather's place. It was being considered that we may move from Ahmadabad, but my father decided against it. I remember the day we went back to the flat. Only my mother had seen the house after the quake, but nobody asked her how it was. They just expected the worst. But luckily everything was exactly as we left it, but with a thin film of dust over it. The TV did not fall down, the fan did not dislodge from the ceiling. Later we came to know that our building was one of the least damaged ones. There was a little cosmetic damage, plaster fell off, some paint was damaged, but no deep cracks or problem with the foundation. We still live here. I am writing this post from the same room in which we were sitting, sipping tea and eating poha. 90% of all the people who lived in this neighborhood have disappeared under the rubble. I'm sitting on top of what used to be a four-story building. And although most of them are feared dead, one or two have been found alive just in the last few hours. On a neighboring pile of rubble, we spotted an unfolding drama. Russian rescue workers climb into an opening in the rubble. They get to the end of a six-foot tunnel, and there they find this. Amina. Amina, 50 years old, trapped in what used to be her kitchen, but alive. She calls out for water and is given some. Her first drink in four days. Just before sunset, Amina is rescued. Triumph diluted by tragedy. Her two sons and her daughter are dead, still buried in the house. Amina's ordeal underground has ended. The one above ground is just about to start. Mount St. Helens Volcano. We were visiting my grandmother in Idaho, a two-hour drive over treacherous, winding, mountainous roads from our home in Spokane, Washington. It was a sunny summer morning. Then, within an hour, it became dark, and the streetlights came on. We could still see an edge of sunlight in the distance where the ash hadn't spread yet. So we decided to drive home, towards the volcano, and away from the sun. We got about ten miles on a twisting two-lane mountain road before the sun totally blacked out. It was pitch black. As we continued, ash started falling like huge snowflakes from the sky. The ash, which is kind of like glass, sparkled and reflected back the headlights as it kept getting thicker. As it accumulated on this treacherous road, we started sliding. It was one lane each direction and lots of cars were on it with everyone trying to get home. We ended up traveling about 10 miles an hour, and when we would see another car approaching would try to brake and slide towards the guardrails. Everyone was all over the road, and whenever you passed an oncoming vehicle, it threw up a huge cloud of ash and you couldn't see it all for 10 minutes until it settled. There was no place to stop, no towns at all, and these were huge mountains with terrifying drops off the side of the road with only guardrails and no shoulder. It took us six hours to travel to the only itsy bitsy town in between my grandmother's town and our town. Normally it was a 45 minute drive. There was just one cafe there with 12 miserably shabby tiny motel rooms. We got the last room. The cafe was packed with stranded travelers in less than an hour, and more and more kept coming in. 
Old people, babies, children, entire families packed in with no place to stay. Outside, the entire landscape was covered in 12 inches or more of gray ash. It was still falling and still black as night. I was a teenager and had never had a job, but the cafe's two waitresses were overwhelmed. I put on an apron and got busy while my mom helped with babies, and my dad tied a t-shirt around his face and went out with other men to slip and slide their way to parked cars. They had to clean out the air filters and stuff. The atmosphere was desolate. Most were farmers, the crops were already in and coming up, and everyone assumed the crops were lost. On highways 504 and 505, sightseers, homeowners along with police and some chopper pilots needed first aid themselves, overcome by toxic gas blowing from the volcano. There are still several other people unaccounted for, including federal workers doing survey work and of course Harry Truman, the crusty old caretaker of Spirit Lake Lodge. There is no confirmed word on the lodge, the lake or Truman, but National Geographic personnel near the area today during the eruption say there is no sign of the lodge anymore and that the lake quote, appears to be boiling. There is no simple way to describe what we are witnessing. Every adjective, every superlative applies. From the sky within an hour after the explosive eruption, this is what it looked like. The column of ash and steam is solid and dense. Lightning bolts are visible from time to time, striking the mountaintop and lighting the center of the column. Portland State University geologist Tom Benson was aboard this flight and describes what we saw. Uh, like this is uh, 10 times anything we've seen, at least. Can you tell if there's been any change on the top of the mountain? Yes, a good deal of the top of the mountain is gone. More than a few men came back in from fixing cars with tear streaks down their ash-covered faces. By 6 p.m., we started rationing food. We had already been rotating tables, so some could sit and some could stand, and telling a family with hungry kids who had waited two hours to sit that they could only order a few things off the menu was really hard. Then the cooks decided the best thing was to ditch the menu and just make chili and soup to stretch things out. We grabbed the remaining milk to reserve for babies and fretted about whether the well water would get contaminated or run out. Travelers kept coming in. There was only one bathroom. Grim men huddled outside smoking and not eating, with ash falling like a blizzard on them, while frazzled women tried to handle wailing babies and children. One saint bought every candy bar at the cash register and passed them out to the kids. Most people ended up sleeping in their cars. My mom gathered up a bunch of moms with babies and toddlers and we all crammed into the tiny hotel room for the night, covering every square inch of the bed and filthy floor. By the time we walked the 100 feet to our room, we were all covered with ash. Our hair was completely gray. Dad slept in the car. The next morning, a state of emergency had been called and travel was prohibited because the roads were all covered with 10 inches of ash. We had to drive home anyway. The cafe was almost out of food and there was no grocery store in town. Another six-hour trip to get home. Once there, we were stuck for the next four days. We ate only what was already in the house. All businesses, including grocery stores, were closed. After a couple days, we went out with masks and snow shovels to clear the sidewalks and driveway. You couldn't just hose it off because it would turn to mud. Lots of rivers and streams were flooding badly. Everything was still covered with ash. Eventually, the state of emergency was lifted, except for the ash that kept everyone inside until it finally rained and turned to mud. Jerry Whiting has been trying to get to Spirit Lake since the mountain blew, faithfully keeping a flower wreath with her as she waits, hoping to bring it to the old man of the mountain who the mountain claimed. Both Jerry and her husband Buck know in their minds her brother Harry Truman is dead, but they had to see it to feel it in their hearts. 
The views up the Tudor River are shocking to these two. Like Harry, they'd known this country well and loved it. Still, when Buck found out where Harry's lodge had been, when they saw the steaming holes and fumaroles that are left as we circled down, it was finally time for the heart to have its say. Well, you better give Truman his goodbye wreath. MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.